0: Um, You talked about the Steve Harvey book. Yeah. Um, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Yes. Uh, which went on, that like broke records. It was the best-selling book of 2009, according to Nelson. With that book, right, because it was so big, because it moved so fast, mm-hmm. did that change anything for you as an author? It opened so many doors for me. Like, I ended up doing Jesse Norman and Taraji Henson, all of them referencing Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man.
1: Hey, what's going on, family? Welcome to another episode of the Traffic Sales and Profit Show. I'm your host, Lamar Tyler, and I'm excited, right? Make sure you tune in and lock into this, because I got one of my old school friends coming in today, Deneen Milner, who is your favorite author's favorite author, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She wrote half the
0: books on your bookshelf. She wrote them and you ain't even gonna realize it until you go look after this. What's up, Denise? Hey, Lamar, thank you for having me. I'm no, so excited for you, excited to be here. Thank you for saying yes. Right, like th- this is this is awesome. Are you know, I don't say no to you and Ronnie. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to have a conversation um, about books. I'm sure it's a lot of authors writing sure. or listening, rather, right? And I also um, I know for a lot of authors, like that goal is New York Times bestseller. You know, they they say like, "Hey, like, what's the goal with the book? I want to be a New York Times bestseller." So I said, "I need somebody to come on this, reach that status. How many times now? Six. Six times. Yes. Right. Six times New York Times bestseller. Yes. Um, to talk about what that looks like, does it even feel like what they think it feels like? Um, <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do they get like like what are the like what's the machine look like to actually get there? I'm curious about that. Um, and even if we talk about the six ways, like, you know, was it different ways that each one of those pieces got there? But before we do that, I kind of want to talk about your backstory a little bit because your backstory is just amazing too. Okay. okay. So so before you became um, Denise Milner, the go-to um, for books, for your own books, for, you know, uh, uh, books that have been licensed for films and movies, mm-hmm. um, for celebrities to say, hey, that's why I want to pen my book. How did you get
0: started? Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? No, I actually wanted to be an architect mm. and an interior designer and still have that in me. Like, you know, just love interior design in particular architecture. But um, my physics grade sucked. I'm terrible at math. (laughs) I am terrible at math. And my dad, because we didn't know any better, said you have to be good at physics and math in order to make a building stand. And so, you know, like, what would you like to do with your life if you can't be an architect? And um, at the time that he asked me that question, and I was 14 years old in the ninth grade. So, you know, my dad <laughs> asked me, like, what you gonna do with the rest of your life? And I'm I'm like, i 14. Because I'll 14. Be asking my daughter, ask my 14 year old, I'll be like, hey, look, times. come on, girl, what you doing? I don't think it's too early. You know, like, I, I really don't. Like, my, my younger daughter told me at age six that she wanted to be a doctor. Wow. And so everything that I did, from that moment on was geared toward well how do we you know like appease this curiosity what is it that she she would need to do to you know, solidify that that's what she wants to do. And she's she just started med school. She's 23 and started med school over the summer. And so, you know, I, I truly believe that kids need to be focused. They don't have to do the specific thing that they said they wanted to do at 6 or 14. I didn't end up doing the specific thing that I chose that day. Yeah. But I was in sort of that, that, that path. And that's what my dad did. He was like, okay, well, if... You want to be, I thought I wanted to be a television journalist like Sue Simmons because Sue Simmons was interviewing New Edition and I love Ralph Tresvant. <laughs> I was supposed to marry him. Hey, Ralph. Um, <laughs> and that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, my dad was like, hey, tomorrow, go back to school and see what you have to do to become Sue Simmons, this legendary broadcaster. I go back to my school, and it turns out that they had a radio station that was student run. If you came with your records, you could have a you could have a show. Wow. Um, they had a television station that if you agreed to stay for an additional class after school was over, there was like eight periods, and if you stayed for a ninth period, you could be a part of this class, learn how to use camera equipment, editing wow. equipment. Um, we filmed the plays, the football games, basketball games, you know, PTA meetings, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then uh, I joined the yearbook and just wrote stories for the yearbook. And I was able to use all of that to get a scholarship um, from my local newspaper, Long Island Newsday. Went to college, thought I was going to do broadcasting, fell in love with writing. And that's how I became a writer. Um, Newsday gave me an internship during the summers to get more Black folks. I didn't know at the time that it was affirmative action, but it was like a court ordered program um, geared toward getting more Black people into the news business. And so during the summers, I had a job and learned how to write and be a journalist uh, working for Newsday during the summers. And then the final summer, I skipped the internship with Newsday and went to the Associated Press and Became a writer for the Associated Press and then made it into the Political Bureau with the Associated Press. Caught the attention of New York, uh, the New York Daily News, went to be a political reporter for them, covering Dinkins and then Giuliani, um, Mario Cuomo, and then uh, left politics to write entertainment because didn't like seeing that sausage being made under Giuliani. <laughs> um, who you know like it's so funny to see the position that he's in now because he was yeah. such a terror for new yorkers when i was covering him um wow. and so now here he is you know sweating a terror for all us. right, right <laughs> for everybody right sweating y'all like we've been <laughs> on this we, right, we, we could have told he you a, back in the 90s you. we tried to tell y'all <laughs> y'all listen mayor. we didn't we, we tried to tell you you didn't, you didn't listen exactly so um Became, started writing entertainment, um, carved a niche out for myself, specifically covering black folks in entertainment because Uh nobody was doing it. Um, So, you know, nobody would be covering Halle Berry or Denzel Washington or Love and Basketball or Terry McMillan and sort of her whirlwind tour, not just in books, but in movies. And I did that, got a lot of attention for it. Um, and ultimately ended up getting book deals based off of some of my stories, um, and then went and became a, a magazine editor. Uh, but if I could say for a minute, mm-hmm. I, I think it's important
1: for people, especially younger people, to realize that there were not as many outlets for no. Black story, even Black celebrities. That's right. Because you would think like, well, well, you know, you're a Black celebrity, you can get anywhere. Right. But right. it's not really, like really for the last decade. Where it's been prolific that Without you got question. all these outlets, which are basically outlets that um, people like us started, right? Right. You don't, 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 That's right. Them the blogging That's exactly here, really. it. That's exactly but before it. Before that, it was not, because I remember uh, when I worked at, at a television station in DC, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of my homegirls, shout to Micheline. Micheline, Michelin, like, worked in the newsroom, and she would always have to specify and fight for black guests to get on. Yep. And this ain't like the yep. 80s, right? Even yep. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about this is this like... This is the 90s. Is 2000s, right. Absolutely. 2006. I'm talking about her when Eric Benet came to town. Her having to go in and fight that Eric Benet should be a guest on the show. And the only reason they even took him was that she explained, oh, this is Holly Berry's ex-husband. Then it's like, oh, and then okay. Then it's like,
0: oh, okay. Bit, yeah, right.
1: like her having to fight that somebody's book who you wrote, Charlie Wilson. Yep. She had to fight for Charlie Wilson to be a guest which is crazy. I believe it. Cause on the, and this would just frustrate us as 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 black employees because the same show that I knew that she had to fight to get Charlie Wilson on, like that morning in the news, they would have like lawnmower racists. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, right, 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 right. I'm Like we, we're fighting for this. Listen, now? like we're fighting, like like Char- Charlie Let Wilson me- is a black institution. Is,
0: is is the man, the Gap Band, and Charlie Wilson and his catalog of music <laughs> is unquestioned. But here we are questioning whether or not he's newsworthy. I I quit my job at the Daily News after a conversation with this. They had brought in this young white guy who, you know, was probably like 15 years my junior. And he comes in and I had written a story on Jay-Z, a profile on Jay-Z. And Jay-Z said to me something that he pretty much says in all of his interviews, but that when he would get stressed out or need some quiet time, he would get in his old Lexus that he had from when he was a drug dealer and drive around Brooklyn listening to Donny Hathaway's A Song For You. Mm. So I'm like, I love you, man. Because Donny Hathaway, A Song (laughs) For You is like, that is the song that's going to, to completely chill you out. right? And this white editor comes in, and I'm already side eyeing him because I'm like, you're 15, and you know, you're 15 years younger than me. You're about to be my boss. I've been here for eight years, writing circles around y'all, writing books in the middle of the night, raising two kids, and you know, I'm on MSNBC and VH1 and MTV talking about my work. And you're gonna he calls me over to his desk and sets a chair next to him to tell me that. My, you know, with my story all redlined, mm. like I didn't know how to write, like I was too. like I was some high school intern who was being taught how to write stories. And so I sit down next to him, you know, attitudinal, and he says, like this line, you know, nobody really knows who Donnie Hathaway is. That's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you just say? And he's like, nobody knows who Donny Hathaway is, so this line doesn't really need to be in here. It's nice that he gets in his car and drives around Brooklyn, but you don't need to say listening to a song for you because the readers won't know what that is. That's the whole thing. (laughs) Right around his car. But dig it. Thank you. But dig it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But. What was crazy was that the Daily News was the sixth largest newspaper in the country, and about 75 to 80% of the readers knew exactly who the hell yeah. Donnie Hathaway was, right? And so here was this guy who, just because he didn't he know didn't who Donnie exactly. Hathaway was, didn't matter to the 80% of the readers who would know exactly who yeah. that is, would completely get a kick out of the idea that this rapper exactly. chills out to Donny Hathaway as specifically a song for you and it's a a beautiful detail. Yeah. And so I was like how do you not know who Donny Hathaway is? Donny Hathaway is the reason Stevie Wonder exists. Mm. And he's like I don't And so you don't I mean Jimmy Buffett is a good, you know, example of a and I was like I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and so I quit within like the next two weeks because I was not going to be sitting at right. somebody's side, you know, having them disrespect me, my culture, yeah. music, and the job. Like this was the job, right? And the
1: readers too. Exactly. That means it's like you really don't know who the customer
0: is. Exactly. Precisely. Which, which
1: above all of those things, like even if you don't connect, if you don't know, like you, the number one n- question you has been must do, know. do the do the client do the customer know? Thank you. Who this is that you we're talking must about? Know. That's all it matters. Which was
0: my you know argument. Yeah. Meant nothing. I was nobody. I was the, yeah. you know, like the, you know, eight hundred year old intern who needed to be told how to write a story. So I got the hell out of there wow. real fast.
1: So <laughs> as you leave, you already had started um, publishing books before yeah. you transitioned all the way out.
0: Yeah. Of uh, being a journalist, yeah.
1: right? Um, at, at what point did you know, or did you say, okay, like? Writing books full-time is gonna be my thing Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it was it the passion of it was it Okay, now I'm making enough money Mm -hmm. because maybe I had the passion before but the checks they add up like like, what point was
0: that transition? I was writing books um, with a full-time job just because We were living in New York and it was super expensive We decided to move to my ex-husband and I decided to move to Georgia when um, I got a a decent book deal, um, but I was getting sick. I was stressed out all the time. I could not handle all of the different jobs I was doing. I was writing books, I was working a full-time job. I guess when I left at the time, I was working for Parenting Magazine. I was an editor there. And I was freelancing for like Vibe and Essence and Ebony and all those stuff. So I had like three full-time for real, for real jobs going at the same time while I was raising two little babies. And to me, um, you know, being the best mother that I could be was the most important thing. And I couldn't do that and and deal with the the illness that I was getting from being stressed. Wow. It was all stress-related. And so um, it was like, you know, we can build a life for these girls and I could be there the way that I want to be there for them as a mother if we move to somewhere where it's less expensive, we can get some land, they could play in the backyard, I can meet them at the bus stop in the morning and in the afternoon and still do my work during the course of the day. And so lucky me, parenting had just um, decided to go in a different direction with a a column that I was the editor of Mm. when I worked there they said, "Oh well, she doesn't want to do this anymore, and we have this opening. Do you want to write this column?" And so I left New York with a book deal, this column that was making me about the same amount of money as I got working full time for the magazine, wow. and then I still had all of my contacts for, you know, the freelancing. So when we first moved here, I had, you know, you know I, it, it was fine. And I just kept building on that and building on that and building on that. And ironically, moving to Atlanta or the Atlanta area, I lived out in Snellville, Georgia. But moving to the Atlanta area opened up the the um the book deal for Steve Harvey, who was looking for an Atlanta-based writer. And then I wrote a children's book series, like a teen series with my friend Mitzi Miller, that they wanted set in Atlanta. And they only wanted an Atlanta writer. So I like when I got here, um, within like three months, I had four books, four book deals. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. So,
1: so, um, and shout out to Danine. Right, publicly, Danine is the one who helped us find our neighborhood. Our, our first neighborhood when we, when we uh, got to uh, the Atlanta area. I remember we rode around all day with our realtor. I was frustrated, like we don't know if this is gonna work. And <laughs> then was like, "You want where? You ain't go to the right side, right? Follow me." It's like, like what time we all leave town? We literally That's about right. to get back in town, get That's in, our, right. get in the car, and go back to murder set. Right give me a few minutes, follow me, right? And we like drove around her, uh-huh. found yeah. a perfect neighborhood. Yeah. So she helped usher us yes. into the Atlanta area, yes. with the rest of this history. <laughs> um, all right, so so once you make the transition, right? So you're in Georgia now, you got some some deals and different projects mm-hmm. moving. Um, you talked about the Steve Harvey yeah. book,
0: um, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Yes. Uh, which went on, that like broke records. It was the best-selling book of 2009, according to Nielsen. Yeah. And how many weeks was it
1: on the New York Times bestsellers? Do you remember? Ooh, I think
0: like 63?
1: I'm like, did it leave, right? Yeah, right. It might still be there. It might
0: still be there. It was, <laughs> <still be> there.
1: <laughs> it was like 63,
0: 63 um,
1: At the time, too. well, let me, I got a few questions right. At the time, was that your first celebrity book that you had written?
0: I had written, I think I had written the NeNe Leakes book before then. Had I written NeNe Leakes? Yes, I had written Nene Leeks's memoir, okay. and I had written two children's books. One that was a ghost-written situation, so I can't even say her name. Okay, but the other one was with Holly Robinson Pete. Um, okay. a children's book called My Brother Charlie about her her son who is autistic.
1: Okay, yeah. All right, and and I love because because I'll tell you, I probably told you past, but
0: what's crazy is that um, I'm
1: trying to remember how we connect. I think I saw one of your My Brown Baby from your website, MyBrownBaby.com. Make sure y'all mm-hmm. check it out. Uh, from the website, and I was like, ooh, this would like be a good fit for Black American kids or something. I reached out. So I know we had started talking. Yeah. And we have been in communication and started to build a friendship. But I remember I was talking to my friend Micheline, who I, who I mentioned before, and she had to act like a uh, Lady Think Like a man book, mm-hmm. on her desk. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to her, picking it up, and I was, you know, playing with it while I was talking to her, and I turned to the spine. And it's like one of the movie <laughs> moments, like when, <laughs> when like everything coming together. And I'm like, oh crap, that's the name I've been talking to, right? And, di- and didn't realize it. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that book, right? Because it was so big, because it moved so fast, mm-hmm. did that change anything for you as the author? Did that give you Oh, my you, goodness. Is like
0: that kind of opened up the floodgates oh, for my things goodness. like how, how did things yes, change for that? It did. Like and mean, at that point
1: in your life, like how exciting was it exciting? Right. Was it stressful? Like what it, was that like?
0: It was it was exciting. Um, it was it opened so many doors for me. Like people look at Steve Harvey and they see all the things that happened to him mm. after the book came out, which you know, he rightfully deserved every yeah. single thing that he got. And people kind of look at me and they're like, oh, she didn't get anything. Like <laughs> nothing happened. Like Steve Harvey got, you know, his television shows and his radio station show and, you know, movies and all. And I'm like, no, trust me, honey. I, <laughs> I came up off of that book. Um, You know, I did the second book, the second book. uh, based off of that and then steve harvey talked to his friends about oh you're looking for a writer like charlie wilson came through steve harvey wow i didn't know this they're very good friends and charlie wilson was looking for a writer and steve harvey suggested me and we ended up doing our book together um jesse i ended up doing jesse norman and taraji henson all of them referencing act like a lady think like a man Mm. Um, and so you know, that opened the door for me doing all of these celebrity memoirs and people recognizing my writing because I wrote for so many other people. I was still doing a lot of freelance. My Brown Baby opened a bunch of different doors. And so I had like all of these different personas, right? It was like Deneen, the author, Deneen, the blogger, Deneen, the writer who does like, you know, writes for the New York Times or whatever. Um, You know, what I find is
1: interesting is that when you have different personas like that, for one, you have different buckets of people mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. each one. Yep, and yep. Um, how people—what I find is like how people come into your world is kind of how they know you, right? And right. how they interact with right. you,
0: right? It's right, like, right. So, right. Uh, yeah, so it's there's like there's a bunch of bloggers who don't know that I write. <laughs> write you know, like oh, you bugs. What us, girl? Right. You with us? And I like, was like, know. come on, get this car with us and go to this And I be, you know, yeah. and that's that's who I am. I'm, I would never try to think writing books for celebrities is is i always say is a a test of the checking of ego right mm. because it's not my book that right i'm i'm putting out into the world right it's a book that i wrote for someone else so i i'm more like a doula helping them give birth to their own story but it's not my book and so you know, I don't get to walk around here with a big head talking about, you know, like, look at my book as a New York Times bestseller. It's it's a new it's yeah. my book and I do get to take that um that credit as a New York Times bestselling author, but there, that's Taraji's book, that's Cookie Johnson's book, that's you know, Steve Harvey's books. They're not mine necessarily. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when I go and I'm standing in front of a bunch of bloggers, it's like, oh, that's Denise. She writes My Brown Baby. <laughs> and it's not that her book
1: was a, a movie yeah. last week. It, and what's interesting is to them, My Brown Baby could be a big accomplishment right. than the books. But probably, right. probably in another lane. That's it. In the traditional publishing world, they probably like, oh, that little website you got to cute. That's it. That's right. It. It's, it's That's those it. all
0: of my so it's all of my piece. journalism friends, right? <laughs> so like we put the the books aside and we you know put the blog aside. The my journalism friends are like, you writing a blog, <laughs> huh? Like, do you get paid for that? Well, let me tell you, how I got paid <laughs> from you know doing the blog. The blog. Solidified me as a national parenting expert. Yeah, that's good. and in a way that opened the door for me to have my own television show. That opened the door for me to have my own podcast. That opened the door for me to be on the Today Show, telling folks how to raise their kids, and writing columns for Yahoo. And so, you know, all of these different facets of my um, my own personality really came out in all of these different ways that I do my career and created this legacy that I'm really proud of. If I didn't write another word, if I walked out of here and didn't write another word, I've done my job.
1: You definitely have. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you, I want want to shift gears and talk about writing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, right, because you've written so much, front pages of, uh, the Trifecta, right? Mm-hmm. Ebony Essence and Jet. Mm-hmm. You know, some <laughs> right. other, some other you know, publications probably <laughs> right, got more right, circulation. Right, they're my
0: favorite. Right, uh, <laughs> 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 that's right,
1: that's right. In TSB land, they're my favorite, right? Um, but you've done those, you've done the books, you've done New York Times bestseller. What's been your favorite projects? Oh, goodness.
0: Yeah. I so right, you know, right now I'm doing um, uh, I run an imprint, a children's yes. book imprint at Simon and Schuster. And that has been probably the most rewarding out of all of the things that I've done. Just because my goal when I started it, I started it originally with a small publishing company out of Chicago called Agate Publishing. Um, And we did some phenomenal work with this small little fledgling publisher that had never published children's books. We just had the same idea at the same time. He's like, you have My Brown Baby in this, you know, wrapped audience of Black parents looking for Black books. And you write and you write children's books. Would you be willing to do this? And I had gone to him thinking I can pitch this children's book imprint to him because he had a he had an imprint that was focused on Black books and Black authors, how about we do some children's books? We literally showed up to the table with the same idea. Um, And so we, through that that partnership, we we did five books. And one of them was Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut, which went on to win every major award that there was to win for children's books in the year that it came out in 2017. The awards were in 2018, but it came out in 2017. And, um, and that caught the attention of Simon & Schuster, um, that and a piece that I'd written for the New York Times that um, was titled, uh, Black Children Don't read a- Want to Read About Harriet Tubman All the Time. Mm, ain't that true? And that was my, my goal with Denise Milner books. It's just like, we don't need to write about slavery. We don't need to write about the civil rights movement. We don't need to read about, you know, Black first. All of those are worthy stories. But what what about the stories about kids catching the school bus for the first time and the jitters that they have for attending first grade? What about the kids losing their first tooth and waiting for the tooth fairy? Yeah. Black children have all of those experiences. Yeah. Where well, I come to age stories. Right, that exactly. Set against the backdrop of the uh, race riots right, exactly <laughs> yeah. a police brutality and this that yeah. and the other and so um you know i said i wanted to create a an imprint that's a love letter to black children and families mm-hmm. that speaks to our everyday experiences and crown and ode to the fresh cut was exactly that is a story about a little black boy going into the the barbershop and getting his haircut and how special he feels when all the people around him are are completely focused on making this a good experience, teaching him the camaraderie, the love, the community that you feel when you go to get your haircut. Um, and that caught the attention of Simon Schuster. Simon & Schuster offered me a deal that would allow me to do even more, um, to put more money in people's pockets, to um, hire the illustrators that I couldn't afford when mm. I was at the uh, at Agate. and. Most importantly, to open the door to stories and to people who didn't necessarily have the keys to that door in the publishing industry. And so if there's anything that it's most rewarding to me is that I got a a text message from one of my authors. Her book came out. right when the pandemic started like i started with Simon Schuster in 2020 the first book came out in mm. april of 2020 wow um and she sent me a text message last week she's like how in the world did this book make royalties <laughs> 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 who bought this book and i'm like you know we're we're rolling with a company that knows how to sell books yeah. that you know is not going to stop selling the books. There are some companies that, you know, like after six weeks, they don't think about it anymore. This company really does kind of dig its tentacles into different um, places that weren't necessarily um, available or known about when I was with the smaller publishing company. And that, you know, is what gives these books longevity, longevity. But what I love is that these books are award winners. These books are beautiful. I give stacks regularly to people who have mm. kids. I have, uh, I think altogether there are 16 that have come out. I have awesome. another one coming out next month and then a few more coming out next year. And I get to usher those into the world. And if there's anything I like to do is to create those opportunities. I love it. Now, let, let's talk about those
1: opportunities because you've been now in a position where you've been a writer and now you, uh, through your imprint, right, are helping other writers kind of yeah. get to the masses and sell books yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, for people to say, all right, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to go the traditional route to get published, because so I mm-hmm. want to get published by Simon & Schuster right. or imprint. Right. Like, what should they be looking to do? Like, like how can
0: I take my, my book or my idea for a book and actually get a traditional publishing house to be interested? Sure, well, most traditional publishing houses require you to have an agent, right? And so you would have to find an agent who Deals in children's books, who may have an interest in the kinds of book that you want to write, um, and who has the um, the tentacles again within the industry to go to the right publishers and the right editors at those publishing houses to be able to sell your book. I um, know how hard it is to get an agent to sign on to your work, mm. and so I don't require you to have an agent. So anybody could send a you know a manuscript to me, and it will be taken and looked at seriously and considered to be published. Um, once you get an agent, that agent will be the one to show the work to you know, a bunch of editors or have one or two specific editors that they want to, that they want to show it to. And from there, if you get a book deal, it's off to the races. Um, you know, but it doesn't stop at the writing. Once you, you know, have the story, we're responsible, your publisher is responsible for finding the illustrator. Um, We're responsible for doing the sales and marketing, the publicity. Um, And it can be a process that can go anywhere from a year to four years, depending on what, uh, depending on when that book will uh, be published. So right now, I'm taking books right now that won't be published until 2025.
1: Now, I'm guessing that most people probably don't realize is that type of time. Like yeah. they
0: come in, like I got my book. Right. Like six months from now. Right. Right. <laughs> New right. York Times bestseller, right? But they don't wow that, it does that time not, span. It does not work that way. And mainly because we have to get. Our ducks in a row in terms of the sales force, there's like, yeah. you know, sales force, you have to win the sales force over within the company because they're the ones who are gonna go out and make the deals with the Targets and the Walmarts and the, and yeah. you know, Books of Millions and, and uh, the distributors and the libraries and the, the organization, the book selling organizations, the Northwest, the Southwest, the East Coast and the West Coast, All of that Salesforce covers all of that. So it's not just you popping your book on Amazon and hoping somebody will find it. It is literally like going out there and becoming a a part of the fabric of the actual community that sells books and reads books and hands those books to children. And that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to get the illustrator and then to have the illustrator do the sketches and then the actual artwork. I happen to be a stickler for having illustrators who um, do what we call reflective art, which means it's not digital they are literally painting wow. all of the the work that takes time They can't just whip that up in a weekend right uh, and then there's you know understanding how that how that book will flow and how the story is being told. There's so many different things that go into making a quality beautiful book that is going to stand the test of time. And that takes time. It takes time. Wow. Hey, I'm I'm curious. This is the way my marketing mind works. What happens with those original pieces? Because I'm saying you take the original pieces and you get them digitized for the book. Right. But what happens with those? The artist keeps them. Wow. And the artist can do whatever they please with them. So usually there is a um, an agreement between the illustrator and the author. The author owns the rights to the character, but the illustrator owns the right to the work that was created mm. with that character. And so they have to decide if they're going to do, you know, like if they're gonna try and take this to Disney and get a movie yeah. or- Because they both would have to sign off. Absolutely, it absolutely. Um, but the, the author has the right to take that original work and um, make photocopies or calendars, whatever they want to, and sell it as artistic work, yeah. but not as a story featuring the character.
1: Now, let me ask you this, because this is, this is what I've heard over the years, but you'd be a, a great person to say yay or debunk it. What I've heard is that over the years, um, the publishing houses do not market books like they used to. No, they don't. And so like as an author, right, where a lot of people think like, hey, I've made it if they're releasing my book
0: it's still a lot of re- responsibility on you to actually get That's out there and move and market and sell it. A whole lot of responsibility that you have to take on. The amount of work that the the book company has is insurmountable. Like, I, you know, like, there are some days where I, I like, my eyes are new buckled.
1: You have a new respect. <laughs> absolutely, to the other side
0: absolutely. Of the eyes buckled. And if you keep, and I, you know, like, I have my imprint. I'm the only editor in my imprint and you know, like I have access to the publicity team, I have access to the marketing team, but they don't work only for me. They work for I think there's maybe like eight or nine imprints within mm-hmm. um, the Simon and Schuster books for uh, children and young readers. Um, and you know, and you know, they're huge. It's just me, yeah. and then they're you know all these other ones. And you know, if you're not willing to sell your own book. If you're not willing to do what it takes to sell that book and get out there and let people know that it's coming, it's going to get lost in in the sauce. It really will.
1: And it's interesting to me. I think what most people think is, hey, I'm going with a big company, so I don't have to do all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Not realizing that they
0: will. It's the exact opposite, actually.
1: When you talk to authors, I know you you always speaking on panels and things like that. is there like a certain lens where you say like, hey, if you're looking for this or trying to do this, then traditional publisher may be for you. Mm-hmm. Like, or, or is there anything that you look at like that where you say like, hey, you're better qualified for a traditional publisher if
0: you check these boxes? I mean, for me, I'm just looking for a beautiful story. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know. and there, you know, there are people who look for track record. There are people who look for, you know, audience, audience you know, built-in something. audience yeah. size you know like how many people follow you on twitter how many people follow you on instagram or TikTok or whatever and that is meaningful but to me if the story is not there then none of that other stuff matters yeah. right like this is something that's going to have your name on it f- into perpetuity and we want it to last because it's a beautiful book and so when i'm uh you know finding books that that Speak to the everyday experience of Black children. I'm looking for books like Crown that you know, like you can open up, and every Black man, and boy, and teen that I've shown that book, literally giggles when they read it. They giggle because it makes them feel like what it feels like to be in a chair with surrounded by a bunch of other Black men, and you know, there's a line in there that I actually had to fight the publisher on at the time. It said it wasn't you know, Donnie Hathaway line. No, it was, there's a line that says, you feel like you're surrounded by a thousand black angels. And he mm-hmm. was like, well, why does it have to be black angels? And I was like, well, here we go. <laughs> why doesn't it? Why can't it be black angels? Right. And he's like, but it's not necessary. They're just angels. And I was like, yeah, to you, they're just angels. But, you know, you know what it means in, the, in Christmas time when you go to the store and you're trying to get angels to go on your mantle right. and, and you can't find any that look like you? Like, it means something to say Black angels. And every time someone gets that line, a Black person gets that line, they, they, they're like, yeah, man, this is, this is for us. And so I'm looking for those books that speak directly to the heart, that grab you from your heart and make you, that remind you of what it means to be loved and nurtured and be in community and be one with your people. Yeah. Um, And you know, you're just not gonna. That's not gonna. It's not gonna last if you don't. To me, if you don't have that. Yeah. I
1: love it. I love it. Um, Like I said, we we mentioned earlier that you've now written six New York Times bestsellers. For those books, what was the machine like around them? What what, was it pretty much known before the book even hit that? Hey, like the whole company is moving to like this will be a new york Times bestseller all
0: eyes on it all salespeople people on it that's pretty much how it works and you know like it when when you spend a certain amount of money to purchase a book at a at a book publishing company you are making the commitment to make that a bookseller because a bestseller because wow. you have to make your money back right that makes so sense. so if if I paid $15,000 for Deneen's, you know, autobiography. That's going to be a very modest book. We might print like 10,000 copies. If we sell 5,000, you know, it's cool. If we don't, oh well. But if Taraji Henson comes along and you give her millions of dollars for that book, you got to make that money back. And it's Taraji Henson. Taraji Henson is going to have the platform to go out there that Deneen Milner does not yeah. to sell that book. She's going to be on, you know, a morning television shows. She's going to be on late night television. She's going to um, be in all the places that are going to get millions and millions of people to know that she has this product coming out and you can buy it. Um, she's going to get special attention from book clubs. She's going to get special attention from Amazon. She's going to get special attention from Barnes and & Noble and Walmart and all of, and Costco and all these other places because she's Taraji Henson, right? Same thing with Steve Harvey. Same thing with Charlie Wilson and Jesse Norman because they're celebrities. And so if you pay that kind of money for a book... And I'm not just saying that's just for celebrities. If there's a book that people, you know, editors recognize is going to be a hit, like it has all of the 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 ingredients for it to be something that everybody is going to be like, oh my God, that is the best book ever. Oprah is going to want want to make this one of her, um, you know, like her books, which is still the key to best to becoming really? best is Oprah is still even without the show. If Oprah wow. says yes. Is on really your becoming a bestseller is about how much we paid for that that book, which will trigger the publicity, the marketing machine, and all of the things that are necessary to make sure that, that book sells. A first and foremost because we're trying to make our money back, but B because we know when we pay that money that we have a potential hit on our hands because of who you are or because of what the story is. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it's kind of rare for you to be able to, you know, just have kind of a sleeper hit. There needs to be the machine behind it. The machine behind yeah. it. How many copies is it you need to
1: sell in that first week roughly?
0: Oh my gosh. I couldn't even tell you. And I don't think that that it doesn't matter. It, fluctuates, a little bit. it okay. fluctuates, but it's, it's, Like that doesn't, I've had books that have sold a specific number in the first couple of weeks and you would think that it should be on a New York Times bestsellers list. But if it's not in specific reporting Mm. um, stores, there are specific New York Times bestsellers reporting stores. So if I sold, you know, a thousand copies in, um, you know, in a a local bookstore that is not a New York Times bestselling reporting store, then it's almost like it didn't happen. And, and you know
1: that goes back to something I always talk about. You have to know starting out what you want the end result to be,
0: right?
1: And like what the goal is, right? right? I think like too many people just fumble right. through business, right. right? Whether it's writing authors, right. and, and actually okay. I'll say like specifically with authors all the time, right? Because I meet authors all the time that are trying to do things with their books, and I'm like, well, what's the end goal, right? Because I had somebody tell me, what well, my end goal is, you know, I want to get this book in the hand of ten thousand young girls. I said, well, you want to get in the hand of ten thousand young girls, let's set up a funnel where you can do a free plus shipping offer <laughs> right. and get it in their hands. That's all you're trying to do. If you're trying to sell right. it for 30 bucks a pop. Right. It's gonna right. be uphill battle right. if you ain't got the machine behind right. you to sell 10,000 copies, right. right? Right. Um, but then you know, somebody else is like, hey, I wanna make a ton of money, well then the strategy is different, right? right? But but right. even what you're talking about, I love it because um, you know, like again, if, if the strategy is I wanna sell as many books as possible, being a New York Times bestseller. You could do, do one right. without doing the other. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, absolutely. And,
1: and even though, you know, it could be a and it can feel good for your ego, it's probably somebody that's not on that list that makes a whole lot more money than the person that it is. Precisely. And then it's, I'm, I'm assuming there are costs associated with the machine that runs around right That's now. exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's
0: like, I, you know, like, yeah, I have six New York Times bestsellers, but that didn't necessarily change things for me. Mm. Like... Writing a story in the New York Times about the need to to uh, to to create stories for Black children that move away from slavery and civil rights movement did more for my career than any of my six New York Times wow. bestsellers did right? So it's, it's being intentional and focused and understanding what can come from this move that you're making. And I knew that writing that story was going to get attention for Deneen Milner books. I didn't anticipate that it was going to get the attention of Simon & Schuster and yeah. have Simon & Schuster say, well, hey, why don't you come over here and do this with us? But, you know, like that opened the door for me to run this imprint. That's created all of these opportunities for me, not just as an editor, but as a writer. And it's, you know, you just you have to be really intentional. I love it. Uh, and some of the things that you think would, you know, make you get you to the pinnacle aren't necessarily as useful as some of the things that, you know, are just about putting your nose to the grind and grinding.
1: I love it. I got a few quick fire questions for sure. you. Um, if someone is an aspiring author and they're watching this, like like what advice would you give them to start with?
0: Read. Read and write every single day. There's not a day that I don't sit down, I have a notebook, I have my computer, I have my phone. There's not a day that goes by that I don't write something. Not just because I have to, but because, um, you know, for work, but because it's it's a muscle. You don't have a, you know, like there's not a day that goes by I believe that Charlie Wilson doesn't sing, right? Mm -hmm. It's his muscle. He has to make sure that his voice is at top. in order to do what he does. Steve Harvey, there's not a day that goes by that he's not plotting out some kind of business thing because that's how his his machine runs. There's not a day that goes by that, you know, like a a concert pianist doesn't sit down to the piano and play. They have to. You have to exercise that muscle. So it's writing and it's reading just to see what everybody's doing, what what's out there. Like I, I have a stack of books next to my bed, a stack of books pretty much in every corner of my house. And at every, you know, if I'm not writing, I'm reading something. Right. Um, so, you know, read and write for sure.
1: All right, and I'm, Ronnie, if you're watching, you heard that, Deneen. Deneen <laughs> has a stack <laughs> of books. Ronnie, get over me because my stack of books don't <laughs> I got a stack of books on the floor. Listen. Did she be like, where is going? Did she put them place? And I told, I don't like you move my books. Because then when I need them, they need, not I there, need right? They you know, exactly. I, need, so, I need to know where they are. Exactly. I need
0: to know where I am. I appreciate right. that. that for you, right? How many books totally have you written now? 31 published. 31 published. And then I have one children's two children's books coming, one in 23 and one in 24. And then I have a novel that's coming out in 23. That's going to be kind of a big deal.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, out of those, give me your top three. Your top three favorites. I know all out, of of my, your out of my 31? I know all of your babies. Oh, goodness. Give me your, your, your out of the ones that three. published
0: or unpublished? Published. Let's do published. Oh, published. Oh, published. Um, okay, so I have a children's book called Early Sunday Morning. Yes. I have that several copies at Right. That one is Love based it. on... The first time I stood up in church and sang.
1: Amazing um, stories and illustrations. The illustra. I like, thank right you. Now, Vanessa you're saying Brantley it, Newton. I literally
0: yes. can, re- you know, remember the cover right. Yes, now. Vanessa Brantley Newton is a goddess, and I saved up all of my coins so that I could get her <laughs> to illustrate. Because the the publishing company that I was with, Agate, couldn't, you know, wouldn't pay for her services. I had to pay for it myself. But not all of it. So I I had to, you know come up with the rest of the money for her fee and she illustrated the mess out of it and it looks just like my mother and just like my dad and just like me and my girls and um and that one makes me happy because it's kind of dedicated to my mom who um you know was very much a church woman she loved her she loved her the lord right <laughs> and um and jog for jesus every sunday and uh and Took me and my brother, and made sure that we understood um, this moral code that she had, uh, and and being in the church created this kind of community that um, that that I really needed growing up. That we really need we really needed growing up as a black family from the south in the north um, in the '90s in a pretty segregated kind of neighborhood. Um, that church was was a lifeline for us, and okay. so that book very much um, speaks to that community that I remember growing up, and that was the foundation for who I am today. Okay, and specifically my mom. Um, then I really liked um, J- the Jesse Norman book because it was like the kind of writing that. I hadn't done before, just because um, Jessie Norman, she's a world-renowned uh, opera singer, if, in case folks didn't know, um, black woman from Augusta. She mm. fell in love with operas, listening to the radio, uh, and became this, this world-renowned opera singer. She passed away maybe like three years ago or so. Mm. And Jessie was so mean to me. She would, there would be times when she would li- I would literally cry just wow. she would make me cry and I'm not the biggest crier and Jessie would make me cry. She would just really come at me really, really out the side of her neck. But. The stories that I was able to get from her because she had traveled all over the world wow. and the, and done so many things with so many different people. And the stories that that I was able to get out of her, the way that she spoke really translated beautifully on the page and just raised the level for the kind of writing that I wow. was able to do. So she pulled something out of me that... You know, I didn't necessarily like you will not be able to look at act like a lady, think like a man and compare that to you know, stand up straight and sing. Um, That book, that level of writing was just completely different for me. So even though the experience wasn't the best, that book means something to me. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I really love writing Taraji's book. Um because Taraji is just cool people. I was to say, I can see the two of y'all like Oh my like, God, we like had the best time. And... We'd be on the phone just <laughs> for hours, for hours. And then sometimes, you know, like we'd be on the phone in tears. You know, like she just she has this this personality that you see is who she is. Um and she just made it really easy to tell. Her story and, you know, like just being really vulnerable was something that, you know, like she embraced in that whole process and that whole journey. She she held back nothing and it's on the page and she didn't pull any of it back. And so that was a really great experience.
1: All right. I love it. I love it. this has been amazing, right? Uh for the people listening in, how can they contact you? How can they find out about the imprint? You know, sure. how can they find out about my brown baby? Sure. All the things in your universe.
0: I am my brown baby everywhere, but I might be changing that. I gotta talk to you about that because, you know, the the blog is still there and it's there for like basically archival purposes. Yeah. I don't really write on it anymore because my kids are grown and they're like, <laughs> don't you be telling all my business. I'm I 23 and you I better know not. All about that. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, like, I still have people who are like, you should still write for it. And I'm like, I I just, you know, like, I think yeah. I've run out of things to say about when it comes to parenting. And, but, you know, we, we were, me and
1: Ronnie, we were, um, like, influenced for Pampers for, like, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Then one day Pampers was like, look, y'all, <laughs> like, your young kid, you know what I'm, your young you know kid, I'm like, sure like, We're no right. like, years right. worth of uh, 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 wipes and diapers right, every year. We're right, just donating them right, to the causes of these. they like, look, right, y'all. Uh, this right. has been a
0: good we run. Think we but. done. <laughs> right. And that, that's how I feel about it, right? <laughs> and, and you know, I, I just, um, I'm in the middle of putting together a new website that's going to, my mandate for it was to marry all of my different personas. Like we yeah. talked about in the beginning, Deneen, the author, Deneen, The blogger and parenting expert, Deneen, with the TV show and Deneen with the podcast, Deneen, you know, writing these stories for these magazines. Like, how do we marry that so that... um, you know, like you understand that I, it's not just pieces of Deneen here and there. And, you know, like the bloggers don't know about the perfect thing for you. Talk about OK, it. good. <laughs> I, I, could, I could stand <laughs> your, your expertise on this. Um, and so she's she's put together this gorgeous website that, you know, kind of puts me all in the same space. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I need to move away from my brown baby and be Deneen. Yeah. Um, and so but for now. <laughs> I am my brown baby everywhere and you can I'm pretty good about answering DMs and and all of that stuff so for sure reach out through there or you can go to deninemilnerbooks.com and see the books that I that I'm working on with the imprint and reach out to me there if you want if you have a story that you want to tell and you want me to consider publishing it
1: yeah all right perfect well thank you so much yeah.
0: I want to thank all of you for watching another episode of the Traffic, Sales,
1: and Profit show. And if you're an aspiring author, um, get the book done. <laughs> right? right? Like it's, it's, You know, see so meet so many people with books on their hearts, right? That's right. Like, if you don't get it off of your heart and onto That's the pages, right. it does not exist. That's um, right. And listen to all the advice and expertise that he gave you today so that you can get started and get moving in the right direction thanks for listening to another episode of the traffic sales and profit show hey do me a favor if you enjoyed what you heard today subscribe and follow us on this platform right now to make sure you do not miss a beat as we drop new episodes and additional content every single week also if you'd like to get access to a free paperback copy of my book access to the tsp traffic sales and profit free facebook group our challenges, resources, our events, and more, make sure you visit us at www.trafficsalesandprofit.com forward slash podcast.